0: What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode sixty-four of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, as always, and as usual. Now, I guess we could probably say uh, Scott Coleman is joining the podcast on this fine Sunday evening. What's up, Scott?
1: Hey, doing, Brad? Thanks for having me back. Feel like I am inching closer and closer towards Carlos, who, of course, has since left. His title is co-blog lord, or or co-co uh, podcast lord here.
0: <laughs> yes. Carlos is uh in the big time as a, as a full-time baseball writer, so uh, that's kind of what happens. But uh, listen, we can joke about all that stuff, and uh, we always want to joke on this podcast. It was not a fun Braves week. Uh, we should say that and kind of have to say that just because of how brutal things were, especially, I think, sort of a microcosm on Sunday afternoon with a game that it looked like the Braves were about to win on at least three different occasions that they ended up losing. Uh, they, they lose five out of six uh, during a what was supposed to be a seven-game homestand, but actually had a postponement, so only one and f- only one in five quote unquote on, on the uh homestand but a brutal uh stretch as we last talked
1: yeah you know last sunday night about this time last week uh, as we were recording i was, said i was looking forward to getting back to SunTrust park and and had a, what looked like two at least winnable series and and take advantage of an ailing mets team and a cardinals team with some injuries and and they would only to get blown out in about half of their games and and went one in five as you mentioned so uh, not a good week at all, and and really a pretty uh, deflating return back th- for the second home stand at SunTrust Park.
0: Yeah, I guess the most alarming stretch was uh, actually over a three-day period. But only two games was the uh, the 16-5 to loss on Wednesday followed by the 10-0 loss on Friday against two different opponents. But you know, getting getting outscored by 21 runs in uh, two games is going to kill your run differential in a hurry, and those were pretty concerning performances, uh, if not the most frustrating. And I think I think today's game, Sunday's game, was easily the most frustrating just because when you get blown out, you get blown out, and it's kind of that, that helpless feeling. But uh, the Braves just squandered so many opportunities. I kind of actually want to go through Sunday a little bit more than we normally would do on one game, but because it had so much going on and it was happened to be the Sunday game, uh, the Braves basically had every opportunity to win this game in the 10th, 11th. Twelfth, and then in the thirteenth, actually had a leadoff runner on again. So had a leadoff, a leadoff runner on three hit, three singles and a walk in you know four consecutive extra innings. After it should be noted that the Braves had to come back. It was a Freddie Freeman home run that tied the game on Sunday, so they were actually down four nothing. So I guess that kind of lessens the blow a little bit. At that at that point in time, you're pretty unlikely to win the game. But once it's tied, and the Braves uh, are in great position to win the game on at least three, if not four, different occasions, it's pretty, uh, pretty infuriating, I guess. I mean, watching this game, uh, to be candid, I missed the first you know, five or six innings here due to, due to travel, um, but I, 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 I ended up basically being able to see a full game, and uh, the, the, the full game that I saw was not, not a ton of fun. I wanted to sort of nitpick a couple of things with you, but uh, any big picture takeaways on what happened on Sunday aside from just general ineptitude uh, at, at the plate in big spots?
1: You know, I think that was, without a doubt, the worst loss of, of the season so far. And, and you look at the record now, I, I believe they're 7-18, or I'm sorry, 11-18. and 18. Uh, And if you take away the four wins against the Padres, they're 7-18, and 18, which is obviously a very, very bad mark. Um, you mentioned that it's just deflating to lose in general, but when you have, I think they had at least two runners on in every single extra inning, um, except for the final one. Um, really, and, and you look ahead and they're off tomorrow, it's always nice to go into a day off with, with, a, uh, with a win and, and they weren't able to do it. Uh felt like the players were really pretty frustrated as the game went along too. So at least they came back from the four zero deficit. But again, and, and we'll talk about this here shortly, but just the missed opportunities next in extra innings and, and really a game they probably should have had.
0: Yeah, I mean, you had the uh, the brutal uh, call at first base, not not, not not necessarily a wrong call, but with Ender Inciarte uh, being yeah. called out on the field, and they didn't have enough to overturn it, which I actually understood. I mean, it's it's again, yeah, uh, I
1: agree with the call. Yeah, I mean, it, it's infuriating, it nice but <laughs> for them to call him safe on the field because then he would have been safe, and the Braves would have won, but. It, it was what it was. It was a it was a fair call.
0: Yeah. So that there was that in the eleventh, and then in the twelfth, they you know best, actually the best opportunity, I guess, aside from that close play in the eleventh, but the in the twelfth they had first and second no outs, uh, hit into a double play, and then got out of that, and then and then a leadoff runner again in the thirteenth. After honestly, in the tenth inning, I had I had the feeling like the Braves had needed to win it right then and there, and then I kind of had that feeling three innings in a row. It was like, all right, if they don't do it now, they're never going to do it. And I guess they never did it. But even though they had more opportunities, but I don't know. There was some stuff in that, in that, in that scenario. I actually, wish should before. Let me let me go positive for one second. The bullpen, the bullpen was awesome on Sunday. Aside from Cole Mentor giving up the home run. In the 14th, um, what he probably shouldn't have been pitching, and there's a reason why he waited that long, is because they probably didn't want him to go very long. He, he pitched two innings two days ago, and uh, you could tell that Snit was not uh, eager to throw Cole Mentor out in the game. But um, before that, uh, was it seven innings of shutout ball from the bullpen? Yes, yeah, really seven,
1: yeah, seven innings, one hit, uh, just two walks, and a couple of strikeouts just about every inning. So the bullpen was quite good before that final inning.
0: Yeah, so that's worth noting because we're we're gonna get to the, into some pitching stuff later in the podcast. So we'll st- we'll go positive there. But uh, there were a lot of bunts uh, in the, in extra innings uh, to the inferior. Uh, I guess I don't know. I, I, I almost want to say frustration, but even uh, whatever's a stronger word than that of me. Uh, I just I don't I don't like bunts in general. Actually, uh, I believe it was Tyler Duke, uh, Talking Chop staffer Tyler Duke, that mentioned this uh, in passing to me on Twitter. But uh, arguably the best spot to bunt in the entire extra innings was Matt Kemp. Uh, batting with runners on first and second and nobody out, but obviously that was never going to happen. But it's kind of a microcosm of uh, just the fact that Snicker does not necessarily do things the way that I would do them. But uh, we'll we'll start with bunts. Anything that you wanted to uh, sort of gouge your eyes out about with uh, how often the bunts happened and uh, what was the result of them?
1: I think, and we talked about this just before coming on the pod, but um, Adonis Garcia um, on deck and the Braves decided to bunt with Ender and Ciarte after a leadoff single from Brandon Phillips you know, why you would sacrifice with Ender, who is having a nice day and is obviously one of the team's better hitters, to get Adonis Garcia up there against a right-handed pitcher. Um, We've touched on a couple times that over the last, like, year and a month, um, only, like, two hitters in baseball have been worse against right-handed pitching than Adonis Garcia. So why you would give up a left-handed hitter against a right-handed pitcher um, with, with, uh, uh, Ender and then just to turn it over to Adonis Garcia who promptly made an out um, I was pretty frustrated about that and as you mentioned um, at some point you should just let the guy swing uh, the Braves were getting hits regularly and they gave really about a third of their outs away in extra innings and of course it came back to, to cost him as they lost
0: yeah I mean I don't know it it, it, it it conflicts me a little bit as to what you do with Ender there because uh, I'm team no bunt the great majority of the time. Unless you're unless you're a pitcher or you're just an absolutely inept hitter, bunting is not is not usually the good idea. But in extra innings, when you're when you're the home team and you need one run, I can sort of see the argument for it occasionally. The, pro- the bigger problem for me, honestly, is uh, we probably said this before. I know I have on Twitter is that why is your worst hitter hitting second in the lineup? That's one of those things that you uh, in that situation, obviously NCR is a much better hitter, but you shouldn't have that issue. We shouldn't have CRT be better be that much better than your second best hitter in, in, in your second place hitter because your second best hitter should be a, a good hitter and, and Adonis Garcia is not that. So uh, it, it comes back to that. I mean, this is obviously a nitpick in this way, but I would say that even before that, and I have said it before that, is you know, you have the, your most your most important lineup construction spot and you have your worst hitter in that spot. This is one of those areas where it when it shines through in a big way, but I would obviously rather seen Ender hit for himself. I didn't have a huge beef with the with the bunts just on on the surface. I would not I would not have done them, but it was not a situation where I was just kind of killing myself there. I just. It's a combination of things more than anything, and uh, it was. I thought it was pretty funny that uh, I'm I, I mean, I sort of, I, I'm guessing here, but I want, I want to see if you agree with me on this. I think the only two guys on the team that Snicker would not have bunted with in that same spot that Matt Kemp had first and second with nobody out were Kemp and Freeman. Do you think anybody else actually doesn't have to bunt there? Because I think Brian Snicker is. Uh, we we I think, I think we've probably seen at this point that he is pretty bunt happy.
1: Yeah, I would imagine it's it's uh, Freddie Kemp, maybe Markakis. Just I, he was the other
0: guy for me too. Like that was the maybe name for me. <laughs> yeah,
1: though I feel like Markakis is also a guy who might just put down the bunt because he is who he is. Um, but again, I I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm usually team no bunt, and I feel like they kind of went bunt heavy in the extra innings.
0: That's not why they lost. It was just a situation where, like, you, you just got to be kidding me at some point in time. But, anyway, uh, line construction-wise, I will never stop railing on this. It's the one thing that is, like, incredibly easy that you can do in a non-pressurized situation. Like, you don't have to – it's not a situation where you're, you're, you're going to be overwhelmed in the dugout. You can sit down with any number of things and tools at your disposal and sit down and write, write the lineup card and to put Adonis Garcia in the number two spot. I guess anyone, really, but especially against a right-handed pitcher at any point. Yeah. like. Uh, I don't know, man. You just you just can't do it.
1: It takes fifteen seconds to go on like FanGraphs or Baseball Reference to pull up a player's numbers against you know a handed type of pitcher. And Adonis Garcia, even against lefties, he probably isn't the best option to that second. Well, no, if, it's
0: it's not it's not as egregious there. And like it should be mentioned that like you know, I don't know. There's such. If it was against a lefty, I wouldn't lose my mind. Like I wouldn't like it. But right. you know, Michael Walker pitched this game. Like he's not a he's not left. He's a he's a right-handed pitcher. Why why is your worst unequivocally Garcia is the worst hitter on the roster on the active roster against right-handed pitching?
1: Like, oh, absolutely, it's, it's that
0: bad. Like it's right. not. I'm not It's not. It's not hyperbolic to suggest that this is the worst possible place to put him, and he is there.
1: Yep. Yeah, no, it, it's truly one of those situations, as you said, it's an easy fix. And you look at the Braves' offensive numbers and you think, boy, how is this team you know, struggling the way they are? And obviously some of it is is the pitching staff, but they just don't have guys on base for their best hitters. Guys like Freeman and Kemp, even Marcakis and Brandon Phillips, who has primarily hit sixth this year, all have really good numbers. Like if they had those numbers all season long, I think Braves fans would be thrilled. Uh, but they're just not getting a chance to hit because they have – uh, their worst hitter batting second, which statistically is the most important spot uh, in your lineup. Um, it's frustrating to see again. It's it's kind of what we were all worried about with Brian Snicker being a you know a kind of a company man and somebody who had spent his whole career learning from from Bobby Cox and and Freddie Gonzalez and the organization that kind of brought those two along and obviously have had them at the helm for the better part of twenty five years. Um, it is frustrating to see. I hope that. They're able to uh, uh, as they move along in the year. This isn't the status quo uh, because, again, it really is an easy fix and something that would help the Braves tremendously.
0: Yeah, and I guess I guess it's not it's not on, on Adonis Garcia. It's not his fault individually, so I don't want to blame him no. for just being himself. Um, but it's a situation where you have better options, uh, whether it be Markakis or Phillips or really anyone. Uh, anyway, yeah. uh, we, we, we I don't want to get too deep into that, but uh, it's worth noting that there's some guys who, are, as you mentioned, having good years that could be in that spot. And I think it was uh, I think it was Mark Bowman. Somebody along that line's tweet. I, I think it was on Friday or Saturday. So this is not an updated number, but as of that day, whenever it was, a couple days ago, uh, that the number two spot in the lineup had a sub 500 OPS for the season. Which is just—I mean—and that's not all Garcia, by the way. That's, it's not just him being that bad in that spot, but um, for some reason that spot has been uh, uh, a plague on the lineup so far this season. We'll see if it uh, changes anything moving forward. And to two, two Snickers' credit, to some degree, uh, Brandon Phillips has been hitting there uh, more recently when he's been in the lineup. He was not in the lineup on Sunday; he did, he did pinch hit. So I guess you—you uh, you only chose Garcia over. Markakis and Peterson and even Kurt Suzuki. I don't know because Suzuki, Suzuki's probably the one guy who like, probably wouldn't be as as crazy. I don't know. It's one of those things where he's not he's not a huh. hit hitter either. But uh, alas, uh, here we are with Adonis and uh, Lion Construction. But uh, without getting too deep into that, let's get away from Sunday and talk about some big picture stuff here. Uh, coming into um, coming into Sunday's game, this, these numbers are not updated, but the Braves had the worst ERA as a staff in baseball. You know, and they only allowed six runs over fourteen innings on Sunday, so probably. Improved, I would say, and actually only uh, five of them were earned, uh, I believe. Um, so there's there's that on the bright side. So uh, these numbers are going to look going to look going ah, so I can't talk. Going to get a little bit better. Um, but a 4.91 ERA as a staff coming in to Sunday, uh, that, that number was also, they were number 23 among starting pitchers and number 27 among relief pitchers. Uh, I'll, I'll just leave it, we'll leave it there before I talk about one specific guy in general, but uh, is this alarming? Obviously it's not good because it's still, uh, you have a decent sample size now, you know, 29 games is not nothing, but uh, do you think the this, this staff is actually as bad as the numbers indicate?
1: I, a couple weeks ago, I would have told you that the guys who are struggling would figure it out, but it seems like uh, Bartolo Colon is getting lit up just about every time. You know, his whole thing was location, and, and right now he just doesn't have it. He's leaving fastballs over the middle. Um, you know, Fultonevich has been pretty good this year, but but struggled in his start on Friday night. Uh, Julio Tehran has really been bad this year. I would argue he's he might have even been the Braves' worst starter overall. Um, Jaime Garcia has not been very good. And again, look, the Braves brought these guys in because they didn't want to have 18 different starting pitchers again make starts for them. Uh, but at the same time, they have to get something out of these guys. They're paying them well, and I would imagine that they figure it out and kind of shake off some of the rust and, and get it together. But um, at this point, it's really just pretty incredible how bad the staff has been as a whole.
0: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned a couple guys there that I actually want to dive into a little bit more here. We'll start with Julio. I mean, I mean, the numbers are not good for Julio this season just to go down on that 4.69 4. ERA, 4.80 FIP, 5.40 XFIP with uh, less than seven strikeouts per nine, and and f- most alarming, at least to me, is a 4.46 walks per nine number, which he just cannot yeah. survive at. Julio's stuff is not good enough to be able to walk that many guys and still get by with it. His bips actually in a reasonable range, a sub-300 BABIP, so it's not like he's just getting unlucky either. He's just not pitching. Very well, uh, and with, with a guy with as long of a track record as he has, it's a little bit less concerning, but at the same time, he has, he has had some hot and cold years, and if this is a cold year, this is a bad time for a cold year for your best pitcher, you just need him to be better than that, so anything that worries you specifically about Julio, or is he just uh, sort of due for a bounce back at some point, is it a situation where we, put, we just need to see more from him, something like that?
1: You know, I hope he. I want to say, and I haven't looked this up, but I, he feels like a guy who tends to pitch a little bit better as, as the weather warms up, and, and he's not pitching in the cold. So hopefully, it's that. It's it's absolutely the walks are what's hurting him. All of his other numbers are decently in line with his career numbers. His strikeouts are down a little bit, um, but again, his BABIP is pretty fair. He's giving up homers at the at the similar rate as he always has, but the fact that he's walking about four and a half batters per nine innings. Um, it is not going to be passable for the rest of the year. If he keeps that up, he's going to get lit up. Um, I hope that he's able to, to bounce back because, as you mentioned, his he is not going to be able to survive alone off his stuff if he's, if he's putting a batter on uh, about every other inning is really what that shakes out to. So uh, I, I still have hope for Julio again. This is a guy who's been around the league for four or five years, and to judge him off of, of six or seven uh, bad starts is, is obviously not uh, – is not wise, but at the same time, he clearly hasn't been the same guy who he was last year. And if he doesn't get the walks figured out in a hurry, it's, it, he's going to keep getting pounded.
0: Yeah, I mean, just for reference, last year he walked one point nine six guys per nine innings, which is uh, which was his best uh, his best mark of his career. To be fair, so that probably wasn't necessarily sustainable. But he does have two seasons in which he was uh, sub two point two walks per nine. Did have uh, non coincidentally, his worst year before this year in a long time was uh, twenty. 15 when he walked 3.27 guys per nine innings. So uh, that's probably not uh, all of it, but it's definitely a big part of it. He's going to have to uh, keep guys off base by uh, not get, not giving them free passes. And it's something that he can change, which is a good thing. That's something that a pitcher has a lot of control over, which is good. Uh, but at the same time, he's going to have to get better at it. Um, you know, The ground ball rate is down a little bit. There's some of these numbers that you probably can't read too much into, but when your walk rate's more than double what it was last year, that is uh, certainly uh, concerning in the early, in the going. Even though, as you said, it's only seven starts, um, but you know, only forty, only forty innings and seven starts too for Julio, which is not great either. Because you need him, to, you need him to eat through innings in a way that he's just not doing right now. So. All that to say, uh, they need more from Julio in a big way. The other guy I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, because the other three guys, frankly, and maybe you have a different take on this, but Dicky, uh, Garcia, and Colon are kind of just, they're not good at all, honestly. I mean, theres I had some hope for Garcia sort of uh, being a, a higher upside guy if things fell perfectly, and he hasn't been uh, awful by any means, but uh, the three of those guys uh, are just kind of uninspiring, so it's almost not even worth talking about extensively. That's kind of bad, I know, because we're only in May, but I just not it would take a me to be surprised by anything that any of them did, but maybe you have a different take on them.
1: Yeah, I mean, they are who they are at this point, especially Cologne and Dickey, who have been around for really two decades now. Um, the, coming into today, I mean, it was not really even an argument that Dickey had been the Braves' best starting pitcher so far, which was really worrisome. Uh, you know, if, if Dickey and Bartolo were brought in to eat 180 or 200 innings, you know, give them a mid-four... Uh, mid-four ERA and, and, you know, not walk the ballpark, strike out a couple guys and just kind of solidify things and hold down the fort for really a season until some of the, the pitching prospects could make their way up. Um, but again, Bartolo looks very much 44. Dickey looks very much 42 or 43. Um, Jaime Garcia has been okay at times, though he's getting pounded by homers and, and is really just seems to be up in the middle of the zone too much for, again, he, he does not have the stuff to be down the middle of the plate. Um, I do think all three of them should improve somewhat as the year moves along, but, um, at this point you're just hoping you can get more than you know more than five or six innings out of them without the score being six or seven nothing because it seems like that's been the case for the better part of the last ten days or so yeah
0: a lot of these starts are just concerning at the early part of games because uh, you know guys allowing four runs in six innings uh, isn't good but it won't just murder you uh, the problem is when it's when, when all four come in the first two innings and you're looking at that at that, o, at, at, at that four o deficit and that kind of that could just kind of be a, a tough mental ask for the team every, every single day and while it's not it's not actually every single day it did feel like it this week where they were just down they were down a lot early in every game almost and uh, that's frustrating I'm sure the offense is not uh, super happy and thrilled and just feel that extra pressure and be like all right we have to go out and get five now for sure if not more um, that's, that's a tough ask for an offense that's not necessarily great anyway but I mean I, I definitely agree with you on Dickey and Gar- uh, Dickey and Colon especially uh, you know Dickey's been a pleasant surprise at least to me he's probably been a little bit better than I thought he'd be um, Garcia you know, ERA wise, the sub four ERA, but uh, you know every other number is pretty concerning, and he's not looked great to me. I was expecting a little bit more from him on the high side, you know, especially when healthy, because the problem with Garcia has always been durability more than effectiveness. But what, yeah. if he's, he's going to be healthy and ineffective, that's troublesome, uh, just because uh, you were hoping that when he was available to pitch, he would be pretty good. Uh, he's not necessarily been that so far this year, even though the ERA does have a three in front of it. It's, yeah. like, it's 3.99, but it's not, some of the peripherals and so, just the way Every other, me, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's,
1: Every uh, other stat that he has besides the ERA is bad and would indicate major regression coming, and that's not a good thing.
0: I mean, he's, uh, for instance, this is just one of them, but... Uh, 5, 5.22, 5.22 strikeouts per nine and 3.99 walks per nine. You are not going to survive if you're... Uh, th- th- those, those numbers are Williams-Perez-like. That'd be my reference for that. Oh, the, uh, yeah. That's a Williams-Perez strikeout-to-walk ratio, and you can't you can't do that uh, and be effective, although uh, Garcia does have, a, does have a longer track record, so hopefully he'll be able to bounce back in again. That's only five starts for him, so even less data to go off of. But on the more bright side, let's get away from that and talk about Fulte a little bit. You mentioned his last start was not a good one. That's definitely true. Uh, there have been good signs. Side- Signs, though, for Fulte. Uh before we get to his actual performance, what would you make of – I'm not even sure if you saw this and actually, came, actually just came back to me, but what would you make of Snit uh, actually kind of – I don't know. The way that he's treating Folti at least in the media, is not uh, encouraging yeah. to me. I'm not really loving the way that uh, he's kind of uh, hanging him out to dry. At least this is this is in my opinion at least, but if you read between the lines and some of the quotes, he's not really treating Fulty with, 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 with as long of a leash as I, as, I, as I would like to see, especially when compared to some of the other guys who, well, frankly, haven't been very good either
1: yeah I was confused I, I I think my comment was you know Snicker needs to pick his battles with this team, and Mike Fultonevich is not one of them uh yeah other than Friday night he's been quite good and and I'm with you for whatever reason, it seems like they're publicly tougher on Fultonevich than everyone else. I don't know if that's intentionally like he needs like the kick in the pants to to uh get things done or what, but of course, in the spring, they kind of had the um uh, I'll call it the bullshit he's in a fifth bat you know battle for the fifth uh, fifth spot in the rotation which everybody knew he wasn't but if every time the question came up to a Braves coach or front office member they they acted like Fulton was battling for his life for that for that final spot <laughs> um and and then the fact that he said he needs to be more consistent and uh, help his teammates out and all this stuff it's like look you could argue that he's been maybe other than Dickey the most consistent pitcher so far Um, He had a bad night against the Cardinals, no one's denying that, but he also was coming off two really good, promising starts against uh, the Nationals and and the Brewers. Um, So far, I think they're number one and number three in runs scored in the National League. Um, So on that note, I'm not sure. I'm sure Snicker and everybody else is getting frustrated as they keep losing games. Nobody likes to get blown out the way they did on Friday night, but um, I've said this, uh, I think, last week, whenever fulton is on the mound, I feel like it's the best day of the week for the Braves because he is one of the the few uh, pitching prospects that we've seen so far who have have really shown that they're capable of making it at the big league level. You look at guys like Matt Whistler who got destroyed this week out of the bullpen. Um, and of course, Aaron Blair's ERA and AAA is still about 8.5. Uh, you know, Fulty has really been one of the few bright spots for me over the last, oh, six months of baseball season. Um, and, and the fact that they would come out and kind of, criticize him and his effort and his performance on Friday night when literally the rest of the entire pitching staff is getting lit up on a nightly basis just didn't seem very fair to me.
0: Yep, uh, I think I pretty much could not have said it any better. And I, and I think uh, our, our old pal Zach Diller from Fox Sports uh, echoes you uh, to the hundredth degree because uh, you know I've been talking and these said some things on Twitter as well. Just kind of the frustration with the way that uh, it's not even just it's not by the way it's not just Fulton it's also Dansby who's been bad, and we'll talk about him in a second. But uh, it's also it's, it's it's the double standard stuff with Dansby's, Dansby as well. This is the uh, this is a players friendly manager supposedly from Snicker, but uh, it's more of a veterans friendly uh, manager than the uh, yeah. than the young guys right now. At least, at least in the way that it looks explain publicly because and you know we don't know behind the scenes we just never will and i always want to acknowledge that when i pick on managers especially is that we don't know what they're doing off the field the majority of the time unless at least unless at least in the media we just don't know and there's that those were things that bobby was great at and everybody will always tell you bobby was great at even though bobby was not the greatest tactical manager in the world and they, even even freddie in his early days was always praised for the for his work off the field um but you know what, what i kind of have to go off what you can see and even now with, with what you can hear is not the greatest thing with with the way that they've been treating uh the the young guys uh but yeah faulty you know the, i don't really care about the the, the rough start recently and uh, listen it's time to come to grips with the fact that this team's not going to be very good this year most likely so uh i, I want to focus on faulty as much as possible just because he's the one guy of course outside of julio that's going to be in your future plans and uh it arguably has a higher upside than Julio does. So it's one of those things where he has the best talent on your team right now and uh, treating him the way that they've treated him and uh, the way that we even talk about him, at least not, not you and I necessarily, but a lot of uh, Braves fans want to pick on him as well, probably because they're taking their cue from elsewhere. But um, look beyond the numbers with with uh, faulty and just kind of look at different things. He's still young and what we want him to be as good as he could possibly be. And obviously, uh, you know, starts like Friday are not, are not super encouraging, but look, the two before that were, were also awesome. So a uh, lot to talk about there, but faulty is... a. Uh, pretty good and uh, actually I think probably better than I thought he'd be at least what I saw so far this year obviously uh, you know Friday Friday excluded has been pretty darn affected for the, for the most part this year so let's let's all let it go just a little bit.
1: Yeah I, I get it people are frustrated and they're upset that they're not winning more games and whether or not the Braves you know it's hard to say as you mentioned what's going on behind the clubhouse doors and if this team really expected to win you know 80-85 games this year or if it was more of a hey let's let's get better and see what happens um, but again, to call out fulton Fultonevich the way Snicker kind of did after the game just kind of rubbed me the wrong way, and hopefully it doesn't create any bad blood in the uh, in the clubhouse.
0: Yeah, I mean if, if you're gonna pick on a guy, it's probably best you go to go at a young guy because the majority of the time, you know, that's uh, won't probably probably won't cape quite as hard for a young guy as they would for other veterans. But uh, yeah, it probably would, probably probably did not go over super well with at least with the young guys on the team. Uh, the young the, the other young guy I wanted to get to is Dansby. Oh, I feel like we talk about it every week, but uh, I got, we got a question from Dustin White uh, today. It's sort of a tongue-in-cheek one, but uh, he asked, what's more bothersome, Dansby's start or the fact that so many fans are seem, seem ready to give up on him on May 7th in his first full season? Um, before I let you answer that, I want to run down the numbers a little bit with Dansby. He actually has, has a lower slugging percentage right now than his on-base percentage, and uh, both numbers are uh, are sub-250, so that's obviously disastrous. He has a 20 WRC+, plus, so he has been awful. There's no way around it, but uh, I guess the question is: uh, Is it time to worry at all? I know we talk about this every week almost, but uh, it is a little bit concerning to me how many people seem to already be on like Team Ozzy Albie's for for future shortstop kind of like full-on yeah. panic stuff. I'm not I'm not quite there yet, but I think it is it is fair though to suggest that his ceiling is probably a little bit lower than most people thought it was. Maybe, maybe that's uh, maybe that's out there.
1: You know, it could be, and again, it's always tough. It's tough to judge a player off of, you know, whatever today's game was, game 25 of the season. Um, you look at Dansby, uh, the power concern is is concerning. He was never somebody who was supposed to hit a bunch of homers, but he was going to be a guy who sprays them to the gap and uh, legs out a couple extra base hits. Uh, he has one double on the season. And no triples, so he has one extra base hit outside of his two home runs, and one of those I think came in like the third game of the season against Pittsburgh. Uh, So it is a concern. I'm in my head, I give Dansby until June 1st to figure it out. Now, if he's still hitting a buck fifty-one with a sub five hundred OPS on June 1st, then then I would be fine. It's probably in his best interest to go down to the minor leagues and, and get some more seasoning, but. Again, you're talking he's only had about 100 and 115 plate appearances. Um, I'm obviously concerned. I wish his numbers were better than they were. Um, it'd be silly not to say there was at least some concern there, but the, the thought of panicking and sending him down tomorrow, I think would be really uh, just kind of a, um, a silly rush decision by the Braves and one that I think they're very uh, very cautious with and know what it can do to a player mentally to send him up and send him or send him down. Um, we'll see, and hopefully he's able to get on the right side of some, some better luck these this next couple weeks and get his line back to a respectable level.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's no way he's this bad, but there is uh, the eye test stuff is a little bit concerning. Just that he looks lost a little bit at the plate. I will say, I I think he probably struggling with confidence just just a tad bit. You know, Swanson's not a guy who has been known for uh, you know lacking confidence, but the way that he's approached at least what again, what only what we can see, he does not look to be super comfortable at the plate right now. And he definitely isn't locked in, as you can see by the numbers, but. I don't know. You know, June 1st is probably appropriate. You know, they always say Memorial Day is kind of when you start making judgments. That's about them. And, uh, you know, the people that want to send him down and bring Albies up, that's, that's not going to happen. If they did it, it, it would be to, uh, you know, maybe send a message to Dansby, sort of a, uh, get him right in the minors. I can't imagine that the message would also be, Oh, here's a, he's a 19 year old in your place. That that's not going to happen. I, I'd be shocked if they, if they actually got to the point where Dansby is struggling bad enough that they, that they wanted to go to the, to him in the minors, uh, I can't imagine they would then flip to Albies. That'd be, that'd no. be wild. Can you um, imagine? Can you imagine the outrage if that happened? Like it'd be, it'd no, be crazy. No,
1: not at all. I, I mean, yes, I can imagine the outrage, in no, it, <laughs> yeah. not, it's not going to happen. I'm, I'm, just about positive of that.
0: I mean, they they would go with Peterson or you know Camargo or somebody else as a stopgap before they. Actually, flip to Albies as a full-time shortstop with, with with a healthy Swanson. You know, maybe if Dansby got hurt and missed the rest of the season, maybe you would consider going to Albies. That would make some sense, but uh, in terms of just getting Wally pipped by uh, by. Uh <laughs> By all means, that seems a little bit far-fetched uh, based on uh, the small sample stuff that we're dealing with. But, uh, you know, the power stuff is, is real, and it always was, honestly, which is some of the reason why I think you and I and other people, you know, Eric, and I've, I've always tried to take a reasonable tact with Swanson Carlos, Carlos as well in saying that, look, he's not going to be Corey Seager. He's not going to be, you know, Carlos Correa at the bat. He's not, he's never going to hit, you know, 30-plus homers, I don't think. So it, it's, that, that's why that's why the Jeter comparison always happened, because Jeter wasn't the raw power guy. Um I never really was on board with that necessarily, but it didn't make more sense than, you know, like some of the other top tier shortstop guys because of just the, the lack of uh, the pure raw power. And we've seen some of that, but uh, there's stuff beyond that that I'm worried about right now. But you know, as you said, it's a small sample, it's May 7th or whatever it is today. And, we 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 need to see more but uh, again yeah June 1 you can only, you can can I only, only go so long here before you go away from them? it's not a situation where you have to release him like Eric Ibar, which is nice but uh <laughs> you can you can demote him and uh if, if things are still bad in June then maybe maybe it's time to do that but it won't be obvious I don't I would hope not
1: yes still very early and and again it's <laughs> hope is a dangerous thing with prospects but let's hope that he's able to turn it around and, and again it's been touched on a couple times i had a great piece that's worth reading yes. if you didn't read it last week but just kind of his bad luck and the exit velocity and just you know off the top of your head you can think of a handful of of uh balls he's hit into the gap that probably should have been down line drives right at infielders that should have been hits um you know with all things time will tell um, but hopefully he's able to bounce back because he's clearly a talented kid, clearly somebody who has a good head on his shoulders. Um, I can't imagine he's he's taking his struggles lightly, um, and it's just a matter of time, I think, before Dansby gets going on the right foot again.
0: For sure, he'll bounce back. I have uh, very very big faith in Swanson. Uh, before we get out of here, I did have one, actually, sort of one and a half, questions I wanted to get to. The first one comes from Dayton from Nebraska, who's a fantastic Twitter follow. If you don't follow him, do that now. But he asks, what is happiness, Scott? What
1: is happiness? Reading the minor league recaps every night. (laughs) That's
0: Uh, a great segue by you. Good
1: job. (laughs) I mean, really, I mean, I I look forward to those more than the games more times than not, just because the, the minor league recaps tend to be a lot more fun than the game recaps.
0: Yeah, that's, that's definitely true. At least in the recent, you know, 18 months plus range that we've talked about this, but, uh, yeah, go read, go read those guys. They, they do a fantastic job led by Eric and uh, the whole minor league crew, as always. We always plug them because they're awesome. So there's that. Uh, actually, the, the last actual question before I let you roll uh, is from Dan Edmonds. I probably should have added this in earlier, but we can go back to it now. He says, uh, do you have any thoughts on the connection between cutting ties with Roger McDowell and the pitchers struggling? Uh, there's some of that. Um, manifesting out there this is not the only thing i saw about mcdowell in the last couple of days which is kind of funny because uh you know three of the pitchers that are in the rotation right now uh, were not under roger mcdowell at any point but uh, i guess it's worth asking since we got asked the question
1: maybe i mean it's truly hard to know i know that i know that mcdowell while he generally was regarded as a strong pitching coach he was more of a you know, kick in the ass, then patch on the back uh, kind of approach to coaching. And maybe the Braves pitchers need that. At the same time, though, if guys like Whistler and Blair were were just throwing lights out, um, then maybe I would give a little more credit to, you know, McDowell being gone and and that it's really making an impact. Um, Look, all the starting pitchers have been horrible. And when you have guys like Bartolo and Dickey, even even Tehran and, and Garcia, who've been throwing in the big leagues for six seasons now, um, you can only tell them so much. I, at least in my opinion, I, I don't. I'm not going to pretend like I know what goes on in the clubhouse with the with the pitchers. You know, the veteran starters and um, whether or not McDowell would have a, a positive or a negative impact on this year's team, I'm not sure. I would just like to see the pitchers pitch better. <laughs> and I'm not sure how much of an impact a pitching coach is going to have when when pitchers are regularly just kind of serving up meatballs down the middle of the plate.
0: Yeah, that was my reaction. It's like I'm not sure what what he could have done, and you know his impact on the one thing that I guess he was best at. If you wanted to be, uh, if you wanted to defend McDowell and kind of go in his direction here, is that he was always good at coaxing uh, some stuff out from guys who you wouldn't expect. So maybe if you think he'd work wonders with uh, even Colon or Garcia, then sure. Um, But, you know, aside from that, like he was never the the most developmental guy. It was always uh, he was credited with guys like, you know, Aaron Harang and Gavin Floyd and those guys kind of coming out of nowhere and being good. And he should have been. And He was always they they were quick to credit him as well. But I don't think that uh, if if you had McDowell on the roster, things would be going uh, much, if any, differently right now. Maybe maybe that's a hot take, but I I just don't see it.
1: Yeah, I don't either. I mean, if Roger McDowell was in the dugout, would would the pitching staff not have a whatever the ERA is, 5.10 or something like that? No, I I think the pitching staff would be struggling regardless of who the pitching coach was.
0: You and I are in lockstep here, my friend. Uh, Well, Scott, I appreciate you doing this, man. Uh, You have anything to uh, plug coming on the pipe aside from minor (laughs) league recaps?
1: Yeah, Uh, probably going to dig in a little bit more this week into Rio Ruiz and why I would like to see him come up. We touched on Adonis' struggles, and uh, after a slow start, Rio has started to really play better and hit better in AAA, so probably writing on that later in the week. Um, and, yeah, hopefully uh, the Braves head to Houston for two games. They have a bi- or day off Monday and Thursday, which is just really silly to me. I know somebody pointed out the Braves Oof. have played the fewest games. Uh, and it seems like every week they have two bi- uh, days off. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to like the inevitable 50-game like consecutive streak in the middle of the summer when they could really use a day off or two. Yep. Um, but Houston's been playing really well, and, and even one win uh, out there would be a, a, con- a successful road trip.
0: Yeah, if they can get, if they can split with Houston on the road. That would be a win. Uh, that's you know it's a low bar to clear, but uh, yeah, go out and get a go go out and get one here in this stretch. And uh, yeah, it's always awful when it's Monday and Wednesday both off, and I believe Wednesday's is a, once a day game as well. So it's like yes, no yeah. baseball from like Wednesday at five p.m. Eastern until Friday night is just going to be brutal. But yeah, uh, and uh,
1: Charlie Morton is starting for the Astros, who has seemingly been around. Braves legend. Yes, yes. Can't, where did he go? The McLeod trade. Uh, yes, that
0: Lock is that deal? is. He, I think I think yeah. he was the centerpiece along with was it him and Jeff Locke? Were they both in that? Team?
1: Yeah, and both those guys have been okay starters at the big league level. It's it's funny how time flies. So I think that trade's probably coming up on about ten years ago. As crazy as that may seem, wow. um, and uh, yeah, Charlie Morton still still throwing in the big leagues.
0: Yeah, I mean he was a big he was a big name once upon a time. Uh, I just feel like it was a long time ago. And while while I'm talking. I'm trying to see how long ago it was. It was 2009, June wow. 3rd, 2009, for the Nate McLouth trade. So almost eight, eight years, years ago, which is still yeah. that's still a long. I mean, it was uh, and just for the for the details to get out there, uh, Gorkys Hernandez, along with Charlie Morton hmm. and Jeff Locke in that deal. And uh, you wow. know, McLouth was an All Star uh, before he arrived, and he was not 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 the greatest Brave of all time. No, but hey. I was
1: there. I was in attendance at Chase Field when he and Jason Hayward. You know, like 6'6", 240-pound Jason Hayward, his rookie year, uh, met head-on in the middle of the chase field oh, yeah. outfield. And, oh, my God, I, <laughs> I wasn't sure he was going to get up. He got, he ran into Hayward at full speed, and, and he went flying. It was, it was pretty terrifying. Fortunately for him, he was able to – I think he had a concussion but was able to come back a couple weeks later. But – uh he <laughs> I remember that well to this day he got absolutely lit up by a full speed basically NFL linebacker at that point because Hayward was so much bulkier earlier in his career than he is now.
0: yeah, he was absolutely massive. him just as an aside because this is uh, what we do on this podcast. Nam was actually pretty good in year one like he came he came <laughs> over he came over in the middle of the year, posted a seven seventy three ops almost almost two war, hit eleven homers and three on on thirty nine at bats like he mm. was reasonably good and then just absolutely fall off a cliff.
1: Yeah, there were a couple of players like that in the Frank Rent era who were, were good at one time and then just kind of just Dan died. Uggla. Uggla, uh, by the way. I mean, at least with ugly it was expected, you know, like everyone knew he was going to fall off a little bit. But Ugla, BJ Upton, of course, went from being a perennial, you know, perennial, pretty solid outfielder to just being like the joke of the league. Uh, McClouth, as you mentioned, um, even Michael Bourne, at least for the brave sakes, they were able to get rid of Bourne, you know, they kind of got Bourne's best season and a half or uh after trading for him and then he kinda fell off a cliff too. So good times it. from the yeah, absolutely good times from the Frank Ren era.
0: Ugh, yikes Anyway At least we're not there anymore Scott on the bright side To bring this thing full circle Go read the minor league recaps And get excited again Because uh, the major league team Is not terribly exciting yet But hey Until Memorial Day We're not going to just go Full on Doomsday Even though we, this, is, this is probably A pretty negative podcast But we'll try to bring it around We're going to do our best And uh, we'll at least try to have fun While we're doing it On the bright side So thank you for doing this My friend uh, We'll have to do it again soon As you might imagine I'll be blowing you up To get you on the podcast uh, Very very shortly
1: Of course Thanks Brad Always around pal
0: As for everybody else, uh, stay tuned for next week's podcast and uh, enjoy your week.